Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. I'm professional idiot Kevin Day and I'm joined by the Baron, professional football finance expert Kieran Maguire. How are you Kieran? I'm very well, thank you Guy. Guy, Kevin, get get the name right. No, no, I just thought that was Guy as a kind of young person, like a fan, indicates the sort of audience we're talking to for this pod, doesn't it? Um, how's the stomach? Because you were a bit dicky last time. Oh, I'm, I'm everything in full working order Good at present. You copped a dodgy pheasant. <laughs> Bright and <laughs> um, uh, I don't normally do this, but I want to say hello to uh, Miko from Finland first, who uh, I bumped into after the Palace game on Saturday in the pub. Him and his mates from Finland, they all listened to the pod. Terrific. Which was nice. Uh, very nice people. Um, I went back and told my other friends that these lads from Finland listened to the pod, and one of them said, well, they're very long nights in Finland, aren't they? <laughs> 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 Uh, so Mikko will please know that coming up we take a look at the latest numbers from Chelsea uh, including Abramovich getting rid of managers and how much that costs him the FA Cup and Bet365 Bet365 cropping up again the latest on Southend United away allocations for cup matches and why Barcelona and Atletico Madrid played their Super Cup game in Saudi Arabia last week so should we crack on with Chelsea? Let's get kicking in uh, Let's get kicking it, did you say? <laughs> I think it's fair to say when we talk about financial fair play, Kieran, and finances, I think in recent years most people's starting point was Chelsea. I think Abramovich taking over Chelsea kind of was a game changer in terms of the way we all suddenly took notice of football finances. But the latest numbers don't, on the face of it, look particularly healthy today. No, uh, Chelsea uh, in the last few years have been sort of breaking even. But in 2018-19, um, they they lost 162 million pounds in a year, which for a, a Premier League club, which also won the Europa Cup, is is a phenomenal achievement. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is that because they were in the the Europa Cup instead of the Champions League, Champions League is where is it? Where it's all at. Eighty um, percent of UEFA's money is going into the Champions League. Just twenty percent is we, going into uh, the Europa Cup, as we discussed in detail on the last pod or the pod yeah. before. Yeah, um, and so th- they lost one hundred and sixty-two million. They, they spent two hundred and eighty-six million on new players, and I'm trying to remember who those players are, and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm thinking, okay, they bought the goalkeeper. Was it Pulisic, Kovacic? Yeah, um, but two hundred eighty-six million pounds is is. is uh, is a phenomenal sum of money. Um, they did sell a couple of players and make some profit. Um, so that, that knocked the losses down a bit. And, and somehow they got a £5 million tax credit, which uh, you know, with, with uh, January the 31st approaching, I think you and me will be quite happy to get one of those. Um, so that, that was all a bit strange. So that knocked it down in the end to, to £97 million worth of losses. So it, it's a lot of money. It's not the highest that's ever been. Manchester City still hold the, the world record because we, we like world records on this show. Uh, but it's uh, it's a ridiculous it's, amount of money. Abramovich hasn't been to a game in two years, apparently. Is is he still bankrolling the club? Well, well yes, he is. And, and he does it rather through a rather complicated route. Uh, he actually stuck in £247 million worth of cash into the club last year. And when we start talking about these numbers, and I've got no idea what two hundred and forty-seven million pounds looks like, it's just a, a, an incredible sum of money. Um, 
but but he does that via he lends it uh, to a company called Fordstam from a company called Camberley International Investments, which is based somewhere. Right. Um, but I, I've I've been struggling to find it. This this company called Fordstam is sort of his personal vehicle. So he's in for all, a total. All of this is quite legitimate and above board. Though, oh, course, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, the the nature of global investors and and global super rich people is that they've got something in the British Virgin Islands and they've got something in the Cayman Islands and so on. And legally, it's it's all above board. And their, their accountants and the other silver-tongued advisors they've got, <laughs> they, they, will, they will keep them in good stead. So that puts his total investment in, in Chelsea to just under £1.4 billion, uh, wow. which for a, for a club he bought for what, £15 million wow. is, is, uh, is a, bit, a bit of a step up. In, in terms of his net worth... How significant is is Chelsea? I mean, this amount of money that he's bugging into Chelsea is this half of the money he's got? Is it a tiny fraction of the money he's he's got? I, I think we're probably talking around about five to ten percent of his total so, wealth. So not a lot then, but in, no. in terms of his, which I presume the, the, he makes back in the, the, he's earning that sort of money every day, isn't he? he he's he's earning an awful lot of money. Um, I I was teaching in. Barbados uh, a few years ago. Talking of silver-toned accountants, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and his uh, his his private yacht, which I think is the world's first or second biggest, right. was was parked in the harbour in, in Barbados, and he was hiring it out to um, American millionaires and billionaires and people from the Middle East, and he was making an absolute fortune from that. So he's a smart lad, and although he's got these these incredible assets. Um, he he does monetize them uh, in in a way which we've not quite managed to do so far with the podcast. I can uh, I can tell you a little bit about Roman Abramovich's yachts actually, because oh. Jamie Redknapp found himself invited onto it for reasons he can't remember because it had obviously happened the day before. That's a long time in <laughs> Jamie's life, uh, and he he described this as you would imagine lavish yacht, uh, and then. So the best bit was his father-in-law, as was, as they were leaving, handed the person who had been showing them around his card and said, if you need the tiles doing, I'd love to give you a shout. Are there any indications? I mean, this absence of, of, of two years, because, I mean, we, he was always very high profile. It wasn't a match of the day that went by without him you know, being seen in his body. Is this an indication that he's losing interest? Are there any hints that he might be looking to sell? Chelsea, um, and if so, are they a viable proposition? Well, well yeah, we, obviously that, that was a stupid, second one's a silly question, but in terms of the f- money it would cost somebody to 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 buy it. Well, he's he, he used to rent a box at Stamford Bridge, and he paid a million pounds a year himself, really? which I think is a bit cheeky of the club. But let's face it, if he if he stuck that amount of money in to charge him for his own box, seems to seems a, a bit million, harsh. Charge him a million quid seems a little bit over the odds as well. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, um. But he he vacated it a couple of years ago, and and that was at the same time that he that he fell out with the UK government. He'd applied to have his investor visa renewed, um, and this was at the same time, or very shortly after the the issues with uh, Shripal and Salisbury. Yeah. Um, so the, the the UK government rejected that, so he stopped renting the 
the, the, the box. Um, he's also had his application for Swiss residency rejected due to, and I quote, suspicions of money laundering and presumed contract with criminal organisations. Oh, where's that quote from? The Swiss. That, that's from the Swiss authorities. Oh, well, that's um, rather bored and on the nose. It's a bit, it? bit harsh. Yes. Um, um, so, so will he sell? Well. Ev- Everybody will sell something for the right price. Yes, fair enough. Um, the, the story's going around is that he's willing to sell for around about three billion sterling. So therefore, he'd get his money back. Three billion. Three billion. That would break any records going, wouldn't it? Surely for buying. Well, cer- certainly for buying the whole of a club. Yes. Yeah. I mean, remember we had Manchester City selling ten percent for for. Four hundred million, yes. so that effectively yeah. valued yes. them around yes. about four billion. But with Manchester City, you're picking up all of the other clubs dotted around the world. And um, so th- there's been a couple of people linked with him. Uh, the first of which is a guy called Jim Ratcliffe, who is British rich, Britain's richest man. He owns uh, Ineos, um, who are involved in cycling, and I think he's just bought a, uh, a a French club instead. But he says that nobody's ever paid more than five hundred million or five or six hundred million for a club in total. So he doesn't want to be the first mug, as he, he would describe a person. Oh, interesting, okay. Um, so he's, he's, he's either not interested or it's a negotiation uh, ploy of his. Um, and there's an American investor with a, with a proper American name called Todd Bowley, who owns the uh, LA Dodgers bas- baseball franchise, and he's rumoured to be interested in, in it as well. I think he's seen the success of FSG at Liverpool. Right. Um, so that that's where we are at present. Um, but I think uh, Roman's going to probably have to knock the, the asking price down a wee bit before uh, we, we get right, any well, further. Uh, this is a subject we could literally do the whole pod on, but two quick questions because we do have a lot of things to talk about. And to think he once thought we would run out of subjects after three or four pods. <laughs> uh, he spends a lot of his money on sacking managers basically, doesn't he? And the, the last one, the Conte sacking, seemed to have cost him an awful lot of money. Yeah, the, the Conte sacking cost him £26.6 million. Pounds. Um, and I think originally they, they tried to fob him off for about £5 million. Conte's advisors dug their heels in. Uh, and, it, okay, this, this isn't just for Conte. It will include his advisors as well um, and his entourage. Uh, but it, in total... Um, I think we're talking about £110 million for a a combination of sacking managers, but also paying compensation to other clubs for for poaching. So if you think about Frank Lampard coming from Derby, Mm. I think that probably cost three or four million. When uh, Villas-Boas came to Chelsea, uh, he had to pay compensation for that and then pay to sack him a few months later. And then you've got the likes of Scolari, uh, Mourinho, Trice, uh, the Martinez, Abraham yeah. Grant. Um, there's a lot of them. There, there's there's a lot of them, yeah. and it, and it is something which which is a feature of the modern game. So, uh, well, you it, almost think clubs like Chelsea and Watford, to a degree, must sort of factor it in at the start of the season that they're going to get through two managers. So we better put squirrel some away to pay for it. Well, what, Watford's, I, I think that they they normally recruit people on relatively short contracts. Oh, I see. okay. Whereas yeah. with, with Abramovich, you tend to be on a, a three or four year deal because he, he's fishing in a different pool. If you want Phil Scolari to, to come to Chelsea, he, he's not going to turn up just for 12 months. Yeah. Um, so therefore, I, I think it was a four year deal. 
but it's it's not just Chelsea who are paying out this this money. Um, you know, United admitted to paying Mourinho nineteen million to sack him. Brendan Rodgers was fifteen at Liverpool. Roberto Martinez eleven at Everton. Right. Um, it, it, you know, and we're talking again. We're talking as millions of pounds without even blinking on this, yeah. as if it's the norm. I mean, have, have you ever been sacked and paid off? I'm, I've been sacked a lot of times. Yeah, I'm freelance. I, mean, I was no. No, I was once when I was booked for a, a, a it's like a football fair thing that I was definitely not suitable for. Right. And they decided after half an hour, there was kids in the audience that oh. decided to pay me for the next two gigs, which is, that, that's the only time, but it was probably 300 quid. Right. I mean, it's, it's uh, if it was 19 million quid, I'd happily get myself fired from any job, basically. <laughs> well, the same but, here. What, the, the, um, uh, now, so I come, I'm trying to think of other times when I've been sacked. No, I'm freelance, so I kind of, I, I, I'm technically sacked after six weeks anyway. Any job I do, um, the producer is very keen to know this. The final question: You talked about Abramovich putting money in. Uh, where does that leave financial fair play implications? Are, are Chelsea always within FFP rules? Um, well, um, under the under the Premier League rules, you can you can lose 105 million over three years. Right. Now, now in the previous couple of years, they sold Diego Costa, they sold Oscar for ridiculous sums of money. So, so the profits they made in 2017 and 18 were okay. What we're seeing is, is that clubs are getting going to extraordinary lengths these days uh, in terms of financial fair play, uh, especially with regards to UEFA. And and the reason for that is that under the UEFA rules, you're only allowed to lose 30 million euros. So I'm aware of of one club, and I won't say whether it's in the UK or overseas, but one club, when when the UEFA uh, FFP inspectors came to town, they employed private detectives to follow the inspectors around to see if they could pick up any any dirt on them. And and, and the inspectors go, who's who's that guy? And and they're looking into their bank record because... If they could find something, then potentially they could have a word in their ear. Um, you know, your wife wouldn't want to know you went to that particular club, would Good you? Good Lord, really? Um, oh, so the, yeah, this is this is absolutely crazy. And and then there's another club. We need to be telling a tabloid about this <laughs> if we want to get that 90 million quid. Absolutely, need to be telling a tab- that's astonishing. Um, and there's 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 another club where whenever UEFA come to town, the club's put on a lavish spread. You know, it's a it's a magnificent piss up. Um, uh, you know, everybody gets absolutely sloshed. So so again, a, a, a club uh, UEFA came to town. Uh, this club hosted it extremely well, um, and without going into the gory details, somebody working for UEFA had a one night stand with somebody from the football club. And she got pregnant. And then she went to her boss and said, I've got a bit of an issue here. Um, and the club said, we don't want to upset UEFA because this guy is married. So therefore, what they agreed to do was to give her a new job, give her a pay rise and said, we'll fund the education of your child as well. Holy mother. In order to ensure that we don't upset any of the people um, and I'm not, and that wouldn't necessarily have been anything to do with financial fair play, but it's sort of indicative of the world I, in which we're living in that clubs are so paranoid that they'll go to all, all of these lengths. I I can't remember the question that started that conversation. Frankly, I don't care. But um, if Guy, the producer, is listening to this, and let's face it, he should be, uh, we are having a special in the next couple of <laughs> next couple of episodes about the financial fair play inspectors. That's um, I I had no idea there were such people. That's that's really interesting, and that's. Uh, 
horrifying at the same time. And that's on the eyebrow meter. I think that's probably top the lot. So yeah, far. I mean that, that final. I don't think it was any. It wasn't one on the inspectors. but yes, it was let's, just, let's a, stop, just, let's just a bit of UEFA. Let's just stop UEFA related fun. A little bit of UEFA hanky panky. Let's just, yeah. just stop it there and make that the, episode, the episode, two episodes down the line will be nothing but UEFA hanky panky. Now let's move on. We seem to mention three six five quite a lot on this pod recently for various reasons. The FA Cup fiasco. I mean, it's for those of you who don't know, it, Bet365 were allowed to stream all the games that weren't being broadcast by other other people, basically, um, despite the FA's own rules about the promotion of gambling. So how, how was this allowed to happen? Well, uh, what happened was the, the Football Association, they, they wanted to, to give people access to matches and, and therefore allow them to be streamed. So therefore, they employed agents. They employed these agents called IMG, who are they're pretty big, yeah. they're very successful, they've, they've got contacts upon contacts upon contacts. Um, IMG then went and sold the, the rights to, to Bet365. And, and the rule was, uh, as far as Bet365 was concerned, you, you had to open an account. I think you had to put down a £5 deposit. Yeah. Uh, now, you didn't, even have to, you didn't have to necessarily make a bet. You, you had to put down the deposit. And then, of course, you, you're bombarded for the next 90 minutes with, with in-play odds coming up on the screen. Um, and this this appears inconsistent. The uh, uh, best best way of describing it with with before the all of the FA Cup games, we we all saw the uh, the, uh, the broadcast um, talking about issues of mental health. Yeah. Look after your friends yeah. uh, and so on. And and one of the biggest causes of depression, suicide, marital breakdowns, domestic violence is people who have got a habit. Mm. Now, have they got an addictive personality? Now, whether that's alcohol or gambling or whatever it's going to be, it's common. And And we know there are players within the game who have struggled with gambling addictions and and been very open and honest about it. That's right. And I think for every player that has been open and honest, Uh, you hate to think about how many have not. They're, They're young men. Um, and, and they are encouraged. Yeah. You know, there, there are there are people who get uh, who get commission for introducing football players to agents. Yeah. Sorry, football players to uh, to betting companies, yeah. and and then the losses can mount very very quickly, and you start yeah. chasing your losses. Well, there are there are plenty of stories, apocryphal or otherwise, of betting companies sponsoring teams and giving players quite a lot of free credit at, at the start of the sponsorship. So. We we know it's it's not. I almost reluctant to blame the gambling companies, and in, and as we've discussed, in twenty years' time, people will wonder why they were ever allowed to sponsor shirts in the first place, where alcohol and tobacco companies can't. But it was extraordinary that the FA ignored their own advice and guidance on this, and they've been they've actually been quite humble about it, haven't they? Because the government got involved, and there was a, quite a strong. Uh, statement from whatever the Minister of Sport is, is called these days, and the FA seems to have realised that they've made a wrong decision, don't they? But they they have, but the it's a six-year deal, and we're only in the second year of it. Worth how much, do we know? We, we don't know how much, but I know that Labrooks, I think Labrooks were sponsoring them for £40 million in 2017, right. and the FA walked away from that deal because they, they were under scrutiny at the time. There There is a Perhaps a bit of double standards operating here, though, because if half of the clubs themselves have front of shirt sponsorship in the Premier League, two thirds in the Championship, and then you look at the Scottish League, which is you know, it is uh, it is the Labrooks Premiership, it's, I think, yeah. and, and you've got uh, close links there. Um, so I, I think the FA is supposed to have a slightly higher 
moral and ethical stance than individual clubs because ultimately the clubs are there to to try to break even and and betting companies will pay you more than anybody else and that's why they're front of shirt uh it's, it's building up their brand and awareness from a business point of view you see the logic but what we are seeing is the normalization of gambling yeah um and kids will be able to name the shirt sponsors now the, the clubs will say well hold on we when, when we sell kids shirts um they don't have the sponsor's name on yeah. but the, the kids are actually a bit grumpy about that because they want some yeah. you know nondescript malaysian or maltese or gibraltar uh logo sprawled over their shirts because it, it feels more like the real thing yeah and also i was about to say they're, they're as they are in my pub they're sitting in the pub with loads of adults with the shirt but they shouldn't technically be sitting in the pub really should they let's let's be <laughs> fair <laughs> um Another week, another club. It seems, and and this week it's Southend United's turn to be in the spotlight. They seem to be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, um, the the, uh, the curse of Sol Campbell to a certain extent, because Sol originally was at Macclesfield, yeah. and I think we spoke about them recently. Um, issues with not being able to pay the wages. Um, as far as Southend are concerned, it, it I think some of the players have been paid and others have not. Um, but Sol recently took over uh, as manager. They, they are really struggling at the bottom of League One. And all that you hear from the owners is, we want a new ground. So presumably they want to flog off the old one. Um, and, and I think one of the things we sort of probably picked up from, from this, this show is that as soon as you start to get property deals taking yeah. place with clubs and club owners, that that can lead to a slippery slope. So um, they, well, they've it, not it, been given permission it, yet. Interestingly, I've been researching Southend United for a, another project and for the last four decades essentially whoever owns the club has been saying I, I want a new ground because I, I mean it's a, it's a as far as I'm concerned it's a charming old place but it's, it's I'm sure it's a ramshackle mess now but it's it's on it's near the coast it's it's going to be very lucrative you imagine to sell that site um, but then equally as difficult to find another suitable site so and like you say it's so many stories start that way it's like you know, Casablanca, Mr. I met a man once. It's like Mr. I sold a ground once. And it seems to be the start of so many problems, isn't it? That's right. And perhaps the FA could step in here or the football or the EFL or the Premier League and say, um, because a, a football ground is sacrosanct in the minds of fans, Absolutely. then we have to approve all transactions relating to the grounds, including some of the, the weirder ones, such as we saw at Bury, where they, they ended up mortgaging sections of the car park and and the ground itself paying 136% interest yeah. on the loan. And if somebody from the football authorities had had to approve that deal, you would have hoped they would have said, I think we need to wheel back on this. Thank God the football authorities are all over things like that, eh? Thank (laughs) God we're in safe hands. Two more subjects. Um, I'd like to know the financial implications of this. It's been quite highly publicised. United and City in the League Cup semi-final restricted away fans to only 3,000. Yet we saw in the FA Cup Everton and Leeds taking seven, 8,000 away uh, to Arsenal and wherever it was, Everton, Liverpool, of course. Um, what are the financial? I mean, because presumably the clubs will have to sort the financial implications of of the restriction on away fans out beforehand, won't they? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a weird one because FA the FA Cup 
can still be an incredibly exciting tournament. And, and part of, we're, not, we're, we're both any, keeping very quiet. <laughs> both anymore. keeping quiet on that. Um, that was one of the worst games I've seen in my life, Palestine. Oh, my Lord. Anyway. And one of the reasons is because you, you get 10% or more of of the of the ground being available to to away fans, yes. so therefore, uh, you know when and do they, when did, did, uh, we may have mentioned this before, but traditionally the away club got the money for that, didn't they? Well, because it's be, why be, the FA Cup was so lucrative and why people dreamed of a big draw. Is that... be, because because of the way that the FA Cup is formulated, the away team gets forty five percent of the total gate receipts. Oh, so therefore, if if you are Rochdale and you're and the, yeah they're they're playing a replay uh, at Newcastle this week, they're going to get forty five percent of hopefully what will be you know thirty or forty thousand as a bare minimum. So that's, rega- that's, re- match. that's regardless of how many fans they take themselves. Absolutely. Oh, okay. It's interesting. I didn't know that. That's, so that's a lot of money. Yeah. For a, a so ten percent yeah. goes to the FA, forty five percent to the home team, forty five percent to the away team. Yeah, the, the home team deducts the costs of stewarding and so on. But yeah, even yeah, so, sure. it, it can be a, a significant benefit. Yeah to the smaller clubs and that's why they are desperate to, to a host uh, a big team um, and b the thought of a replay is, is fantastic for them ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So United and City then, obviously there's no financial implications. In the, is it different in the, in the League Cup, whatever it's called now? Well, in, in theory, uh, you know, if it had been Burton Albion, as, as happened last season, yeah. they, they took six or 7,000 to the Etihad. Um, United and City have said, well, you know, the extra cost of stewarding, we, we can't, we can't, we're not going to do it. Um, so that they are they are giving security reasons, but it, it does seem very harsh because if Liverpool and Everton, and let's face it, they're all in the same city. If Everton takes eight thousand to Anfield, why can't City take eight thousand to Old Trafford? Um, and it's denying fans the ability to see the match. And, and I think part of the issue here is that United then went very very loudly on through the media saying any Manchester City fans found in Old Trafford in home ends will be evicted and, and they'll be banned but they've created the problem in the first place uh, yes, absolutely. And, and anybody who's who's been to old traffic you know, I, you know, i've lived in manchester for 40 years yeah. um I, I know one bloke who's got eight access to 80 season tickets 80 80 so if if united are at home to let, let's let's be honest if they're at home to watford or bournemouth yes there's plenty of united fans who say well you know, i can't be asked um, with, with that particular match, I've got better things to do with my time. Um, so, so this guy, he he knows he's got access to eighty tickets. Now, if if and he will buy them from the season ticket holder. He's got got this arrangement. Right. He then sells them on to the football tourists because if you go to Old Trafford, you go. There's an awful lot of people with half and half scarves in, yes, in yeah, an yeah. area where I wouldn't expect it to be mainly seat where we expect it to be mainly season ticket holders. If United are at home to Liverpool or City, the season ticket holder picks up their their ticket. So so everybody wins. Now the same will have happened to a certain degree for this this cup match last week. It it's into, it became an issue at Palace for the Brighton game, funnily enough, because it was an evening game, so a lot of kids can't go. So the, yep. the the official club regulations are that if your child can't go with a season ticket, give it to us and we will sell it on to somebody else 
at the full adult price. Mm. So there were issues with that because a couple of people complained. And the view of most Palace fans were, well, why did, don't give it back to them? Nobody takes part in the official club schemes. No one's, no one on the turnstile looks up to see whether your, your photograph's not on the ticket anyway. Just give it to your mate, yep. which is what everybody does. But clubs make a, a lot of fuss. And, and in the, the terms and conditions of your season ticket, it's in, it's in block capitals. You cannot transfer it to anybody else. But it's like... They're not making what the club would make three grand a game out of that official ticket exchange thing, so don't do it. But it's astonishing that this chap's got access to a. I mean, it's it's clever, but technically the club would be very keen to know who he is, wouldn't he? As yeah. I'm keen to know who the person that you for was, but we'll never, we'll never find out. <laughs> I, I will, off air. Um, we mentioned Bet365 a lot. We've mentioned the Middle East a lot, Saudi Arabia recently, and I suspect. The way the world is going, sport-wise, I suspect in the years to come, we will keep mentioning it. As the Spanish Super Cup game between Barca and Atletico Madrid was played in Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't think we're here to discuss the morality of that, or the morality of snooker moving into Saudi Arabia and Barry Hearn saying sport transcends politics, etc. But what are the numbers behind that? What are the financial reasons they did that? And, And the second question off the back of that, could... Could English clubs do it? Could the Community Shield, for example, be played in Saudi Arabia? Well, I mean, the, the numbers that I've seen quoted is that uh, the, the Saudi authorities offered between 35 to 40 million to host the, the Spanish Super Cup. So the offer came from them. That's right. right. And, and yeah. I think the and there's been a lot of talk about will the Saudis buy Manchester United or another club. But I think their strategy, if you think about the uh, Anthony Joshua fight, we've got yep. snooker. What they want to do is, is to be the place now that, that hosts worldwide events. And also the uh, and it was it was it was a sparkling nil nil draw last night, uh, <laughs> which went into penalties. Was there resistance to this idea in Spain um, from the fans, or was it a tournament that they don't? It's it's not something they get over excited about. Um, there, there were fifty nine thousand there last night, so clearly it sold well. And the Italian Super Cup, I did some further investigation. That took place in Saudi um, on the nineteenth of December. So it's it sort of it's it brings into play. Is this the way of the future? Could we see the Community Sealed? Mm. Could we see the Carabao Cup? And, and let's face it, that's the EFL's flagship, and they're desperate to make money from it. Well, there was also talk, remember, a couple of seasons back, this legendary 39th game that would be sold to the highest bidder outside the UK as well. Well, I, I think the 39th game game is not dead and buried, um, oh, even though oh, really? we as fans uh, don't like it. I think that was one of Richard Scudamore's ideas whilst he was there. That, you know, they, they've got new people uh, in charge now. Um it, it's it's certainly something that club owners are very keen on if uh, if if fans aren't but whilst you can understand the the excitement of hosting Manchester United versus Liverpool as the 39th game with with due respect uh, you know and I was watching Bournemouth versus Watford yesterday <laughs> on the telly because 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 the baroness was away um uh but you know, would if that goes to Manila or or Hong Kong, is anybody going to turn up to watch it? I think they'd have to work extremely hard. But I'm sure that the the, the marketing people and then the Premier League, if if uh, if push came to shove, they 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 would do their best, and and it would be very lucrative. You get three point six million pounds for winning the FA Cup. You get two hundred grand for winning the Carabao Cup. But you're getting thirty five to more forty for going to uh, to Saudi. So. Yeah, from a financial point of view, you can see the benefits. I know football fans in Spain and Italy are very, very passionate. But I'd like to think that if if it was tried here or Germany, 
that the reaction of fans would be very different and that English fans would be very, very resistant to what is a major change, regardless of the, the how important the game is. It's it, it's a huge step forward, isn't it? Or, or backwards, as far as I'm concerned, to be perfectly honest. You, you would hope so, but uh, if you look to see how compliant we have been as fans to all of the changes, yeah, we now accept Friday night football, Monday yeah, night yeah, football, yeah, Sunday yeah. lunchtime football, 5.30 kickoffs on a Saturday, we've just said, yeah, okay, uh, you know, the, the, the TV companies are calling the tune because they, they pay them out most of the money in. Um, if somebody else offers the club a lot of money and, and, the, and the club goes to the fans, look, you know, for 30 million quid, we could sign a new centre-forward, all that resistance goes. Yeah. In Germany, it is different. In Germany, the fans are incredibly well organised, but I, I do think that is a lot to do with the, the fact that they've got the 50% plus yeah, one rule yeah. um, and, and, and other issues which make a major contribution towards fan culture there, which has become gentrified here um, in, in England. Well, I mean, VAR is a classic example. We had the <laughs> very funny scenario at Palace on Saturday with the, the, the HF had a beautifully orchestrated anti-VAR protest with a lovely uh, set of words held up, uh, which, of course, had to be taken down when Aubameyang got sent off after the <laughs> VAR review. But, um, I've got a note here from Guy, the producer, and it says, plug book, plug book, plug book. Now, mine's not out for a long time, so this is yours we're talking about here, uh, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I'll get us talking about our books. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a book out on the day that this podcast comes out on Thursday, on Thursday, sixteenth of Congratulations. of January. It's called. What's, the, what's it about? <laughs> well, it, it's it's effectively what this podcast is about. Um, it's called the Price of Football. It's it's there to explain um, what all of these crazy numbers in football. You know how how can Liverpool sign Andy Carroll for? for 35 million sell, sell him for 15 million pounds and make a profit yeah we, we were talking about um roman abramovich wanting three billion pounds for, for chelsea we must have got that figure from somewhere so sort of the mechanic so it's it's a little bit on the technical side it, go, it goes into the history of of why we have professional football in the uk oh, and looking at the wages looking at how much it costs to attend the world cup in 1966 compared to what it's going to cost you next summer um our football players etc uh, yeah, etc et yeah, yeah. So oh it, brilliant so we, it, could, we this is available at all the usual sources I presume well possibly possibly oh, okay. it, it's, <laughs> it, it's a very small it's a very small publishing house um, the, the, the publisher that saw me uh, on breakfast television talking some nonsense and thought and this this will fill a very small hole ultimately it's, it's you know I, I am a I am an academic and it's broadly of course broadly an academic textbook your professor the baron Kieran well we know this <laughs> um right. uh, well I, I, i'm guessing a lot of people listening to this pod will go out and buy the book i will uh, unless you give me a free copy obviously <laughs> um the price of football Absolutely. is a dap dip production um we'll be back on monday for our brand new episode with our uh, we're starting our specials which will be the third one so we're doing Readers, readers, listeners' questions, readers, <laughs> doing readers' wives and listeners' questions on a Monday. Um, if you want to send questions in, and you've been doing it in your hundreds, so thank you very much. It's questions at priceoffootball.com. Please review us. I say reluctantly because the producer really wants me to say, please leave us a good review wherever you leave good reviews because that helps with the algorithms. Um, thank you, Kieran, and thank you for listening. Cheerio, folks. The price of football.
the price of football. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs> 